It is the Lockdown Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Today we've got training camp updates, some quotes from my interview with Billy Price when I was in Paul Brown Stadium last week. We're going to take a mini mailbag, a mini midweek mailbag, if you will, if you're into alliteration, and then we'll catch up on the countdown to kickoff. I think we left off on 32 or 33. We did 33. I think we're on 32. That's right. And I believe there are 26 days until kickoff today, so we're going to have to breeze through some players here. We'll see how many we get through. But we'll start with the Locked on Bengals lead story of the day, which is Jeff Driscoll is apparently playing wide receiver now for the Cincinnati Bengals. Ryan Finley, we talked about yesterday, is going to be playing with the number twos in Washington this week, and they're trying to find a way to keep Jeff Driscoll on the field. Yeah, I think some would take this as a sign that Ryan Finley has taken a commanding lead as the backup quarterback. And if the Bengals are going to keep three, which it does feel like they could, it would be Jeff Driscoll. And with Driscoll, it looks to be that they're finding ways to get him on the field. Zach Taylor even mentioned it could be on special teams. He cited his athleticism and speed and his ability to help the team in many ways. There's a picture out there on Bengals.com of Jeff Driscoll, I think, jumping up, rising over, I believe, William Jackson with the ball in his hands. I think William Jackson ended up breaking it up because the tweet I saw was, we just saw Jeff Driscoll almost make a spectacular catch on a throw from Andy Dalton. So I imagine that's a play in question, but there wasn't enough context. and I couldn't tell for sure if it was Jackson. I thought it was. I wonder if he'll get any reps in the preseason game at wide receiver, or if this is just something they'll do in practice to see if he can help them. They have so long until they need to make the choice now because there's no interim cut down. It's just the one cut to 53 now, right? So they can take their time and make the evaluation. I don't think they want to keep three quarterbacks unless they absolutely have to, because I think there are some very deep positions where they're going to want to keep extra guys. But I also think, they truly, genuinely believe they have an athletic weapon in Jeff Driscoll who has, he's actually bigger than uh, Taysom Hill. I thought Taysom Hill had a density advantage, but I don't think he does after I went and looked at their listed weights. Yeah, and I think Taysom Hill might be a slightly better athlete, maybe throw a better ball, but he's also in a much better offense. So maybe he's highlighted just a bit more than what we remember from Jeff Driscoll last year. Yeah, I think if you were going to ask which coach would use these guys the best, Sean Payton's definitely way up there on the list. And hopefully Zach Taylor is too. We'll we'll have to wait and see and find out if he's going to get any reps at receiver. I think it's really a chance for him to try to make the team somewhere, though. If he can contribute on special teams and as a quote-unquote weapon a la Taysom Hill, then he has a chance to make the team. And maybe this is also a sign because the the results or the the reports are that Ryan Finley hasn't practiced that well, but he's played well in in the family day game and in the first preseason game. So if they're looking at a backup quarterback being a rookie that hasn't practiced as well as maybe they'd like, maybe it's a sign of, okay, we like Finley. He's taking the lead for this position, but just in case, let's hold on to Driscoll. 
Yeah. I still am kind of hoping they don't keep three quarterbacks because, like I said, I think they have some positions where they're deep and they should keep an extra guy. But Driscoll can make it hard on him. The next lead story that we wanted to talk about today is the offensive line shuffle that yesterday I kind of dismissed based on Zach Taylor's quote that don't read into this too much. For the second day in a row, Mike Jordan was out there with the number ones and Trey Hopkins out there at center with the number ones with Billy Price still not starting. Yeah, you can tell me this isn't a demotion, but I can't find many first-round picks. I have to take reps with the second-team offense and be replaced by another guy that arguably outplayed him last year. So uh, two days in a row of of second-team reps, it was a red flag yesterday. Now sirens are going off, and I think it's fair to wonder, and not overreact, but wonder what is going on. It's very curious, and I talked to Billy Price last week. He mentioned that he felt like he might be a little bit behind. He had some things that he was catching up on. We did ask him what he thought of playing with Mike Jordan and what his impressions of playing with his Ohio State teammate were. This is what he had to say. Jordan? Yeah. Um, great. I mean, he's a young kid. He's sponge. You know, the mentality he's taking in is to be a sponge and to absorb everything that's being thrown at him. Uh, playing in three different positions right now, center, guard, both guards, and Coach Turner just doing his job to figure out who the best five are. Um, takes you back to old times at Ohio State, and it's, uh, again, you can see his growth, and he's doing a tremendous job. Price called Michael Jordan a sponge as he's playing all these positions and absorbing information at the NFL level, and it sounds like he's impressed enough to get chances with the ones as a rookie. And at the very least, if he's a, the second team left guard and the primary backup, if he doesn't win the job, I think that spells a lot towards fan favorite Christian Westerman as to uh, his his days on the team may be numbered. If he's significantly behind him and you can trust Trey Hopkins to play left guard also, uh, you got Alex Redman returning at some point. I think Westerman is securely on the roster bubble at this point. Especially with John Jerry looking like he's the second backup tackle with Andre Smith. Judging from rotations today, Cordy Glenn went out with an injury for some period of time. It doesn't sound like it's serious. I haven't heard anything else on it. But John Jerry moved over to tackle. So that's interesting to watch. Yeah, it means Jerry's probably going to make the team, and he's yep. a lock. And and he's still probably leading for the, the chance to start with the number ones in week one. Uh, just It sounds like they're giving everyone their chance to shine and get, get an opportunity to start and play with the number ones. I think this game will be interesting then against Washington. Are you going to go out there, and I, and I fully believe they will, go out there with Michael Jordan and Trey Hopkins as, as the starters at left guard and center respectively, and then maybe we see John Jerry and Billy Price coming quickly after that. I hope Billy Price gets ready. I hope he figures out whatever it is of bugging him. He did mention that he had some things that he was working on. Actually, let's just play the clip. I got some work to do. Um, just I got to do a couple of skill things. I missed a week and a half of camp, so um, I kind of lean on right now. John Jerry, Bobby, Bobby Hart, especially. Uh, he's Bobby, somebody who again he's brilliant-minded, a guy who has a lot of football knowledge, a lot of football experience, and somebody who can see things and kind of. Again, piggyback and get us on the right page if I perhaps miss uh, a backside safety that's down or whatever. So um, I'd always have Bobby Hart right now, John Miller, John Jerry. Uh, those are kind of the guys who are more vocal guys who are really the rocks of the room right now as I continue to catch back up for this in a week and a half. So there you hear Billy Price saying he's got to catch back up a little bit. But he also mentions, interestingly to me, the leaders of the offensive line room are John Jerry, Bobby Hart, and John Miller. Those are the vocal leaders. He calls them the rocks of the offensive line room. That's interesting because uh, I, as of today, I would think three of those guys are starting. But 
also, I would say just uh, think about it. A couple months ago, we weren't sure any of those three guys would be on the roster. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And and two of them are late free agent additions. And one of them was a guy that we weren't, we were actually pretty sure wouldn't be back. Right, or hoping. And uh, so it is interesting to hear that those are the vocal leaders. It's also interesting to hear Price say that he feels like he's a little bit behind because he missed some time in camp. It's not all negative, though. Price does feel like his reach block is coming along, but he is still working on dealing with some of the big bodies that line up as zero tech and have two-way goes. And I talked to him about that one, too. What's the hardest block for you to execute versus your best block Block you feel most confident in? I know you're talking um, about the left-hand punch. Yeah, right now, so I think the uh, zero nose, uh, I know when we play Baltimore and we play Pittsburgh, kind of a zero nose right now, especially with those big bodies. Again, you know, Brandon Williams, 340, according to his yeah. roster weight. Um, big dudes. Uh, Cam Hayward and other kind of guys. So just the zero with the two-way go, those are kind of the tough ones for me. Uh, just, again, you've got, you're have got you on an island because they're taking the guards out with the tackles, and it's a man's block. Um, and then uh, the easiest block for me right now is I've developed a, a pretty good consistency with a reach block. Um, change some technique, watch some guys, and uh, anytime we're doing some of the outside zone work, it's a lot better than I was last year at it, so it's going to be a huge improvement. And if Price has developed as a reach block center or developed that part of his game, I think that's the area of concern a lot of people had as uh, with him coming out of Ohio State. Many viewed him as a guard because of those issues he dealt with uh, reaching that three tech and sometimes with a nose tackle directly ab- above him. So uh, interesting to hear him say that because I think – if, if that is truly one of his better blocks now, that'll help the offense a lot. Yeah, he also did talk about some of the benefits with the Rams offense coming over, but we'll get to those after the break, and then we'll get into your questions. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We're going to take some of your questions, but uh, we ran a little long on, uh, on segment one, so we want to go back and just touch on a couple of things real quick. Uh, the one thing to me I find interesting with this whole offensive line shuffle and the questions with Billy Price right now is how well, or at least how hidden, the offensive line looked on that first drive in Kansas City. And I think that's a uh, something we kind of alluded to uh, probably all offseason, that this Rams-style offense should help this offensive line. Totally. And that's something that we talked to Billy Price about. He said that the Rams offense, and he called it the Rams offense instead of the Bengals offense, which oh, I really? found interesting. Uh, and you'll hear that in the quote, but he talked about how it's going to make the life easier for him in particular and offensive linemen generally. I, th- I think what makes the Rams uh, offense so unique is, is the compliments based on it and the compliments when I'm saying like routes on pass protections or routes on play action pass and some of the different things that coordinate and make it easier for offensive linemen. So if you bring a guy to me, it makes it easier versus I have to go run another nine yards to go get that guy. Yeah. So, and I think that's what you'll see, especially with the Rams offensive line. Those guys are highlighted so well because of the different things that are going on. Yeah, it sounds like Billy Price has a good idea of what this Rams offense tries to do and how it can help him. Uh, that's why mixing that together with him feeling like he's behind, it's got to be just because of the timing it takes with the guy next to you and maybe the reps and having Trey Hopkins there for that first, what, half week to a week when Price was on the stationary bike maybe gave him a little bit of an advantage. Yeah, that's kind of the impression I'm getting right now too. I wonder if it will be just like, Price just needs another week to catch back up, and then he'll be back in there going forward. But at the same time, it could just be the open competition that we've seen a lot of. And I thought Paul Danner talked about this in his weekly piece over The Athletic today when he talks about Jim Turner better know what he's doing. 
because he's out there taking out incumbent starter Billy Price and putting Trey Hopkins out there, which who knows? Maybe that's right. Maybe it's not. He's talking about starting a rookie fourth rounder at left guard. Maybe that's right. Maybe not. He talks about liking what he's seeing out of Andre Smith. Who knows what Andre Smith has left in the tank based on one game. He brought in John Jerry a year out of football, and now he's a favorite to start at left guard, it looks like, unless it's, unless it's Michael Jordan. Right. So there's a lot of pressure on Turner, I think, to, to get it right, pick the right guys, because that unit is clearly the weak link on the offense. The rest of that team, the rest of that offensive team can make it happen. And don't forget, he was a big proponent for bringing back Bobby Hart at exactly. right tackle. So. Uh, yes, Turner's never had a good offensive line in the NFL, and maybe part of that is decision making on who and who to start and when to start him. So, uh, yes, there's a lot of pressure on him. I think maybe the most pressure of any yeah. uh, coach on the staff. I-, I will say that Billy Price spoke glowingly of him and of assistant offensive line coach Ben Martin, and Travion Williams also had really nice things to say about Jim Turner. He called him a mastermind, called him a guru. So, so the players are standing up for him at the very least, or at least are saying the right thing. It could be that they really like him, though, and, he, and and maybe we'll just have to wait and see. For the first preseason game, as we mentioned yesterday, the first unit offensive line did look pretty good. Do you have anything else to add before we get to questions, Joe? No, I'm ready for the questions. Do you want the first one? I'll read it. Yeah, tell me what the question is, please. All right, first question is from Ari Gold at Hardy24 in Gawa. I believe that's what it is. What one player or max two, no quarterback, having career years could lead the Bengals to being playoff bound this season? This is a tough question, Ari, because for a lot of the guys on the team that need to step up and take a huge leap to make a big difference for this team, a career season isn't necessarily much for their career track record up to this point. I think where I'm starting, though, is on the defense, and the weakest unit on the defense is easily linebacker. We saw this play itself out in the Kansas City game, and I'd say if Nick Vigil can come out and be the player we all think he can be and put it all together and stay healthy, that can make a big, big difference for the defense on the whole. On the offensive side of the ball, I think that I'm looking at Bobby Hart. If Bobby Hart can go out there and be an average guard or an average tackle, sorry, then the tackle positions are suddenly okay, and then the rest of the offense can kind of work. I like those suggestions. I'm going to aim a little bit higher, and I'm going to pair these guys in the same position to turn a good unit into a great unit that can maybe carry the defense. And I'm going to say Carl Lawson and Carlos Dunlap. And I'm going to say that because both guys have been good in in what we've seen. But if they have career years, they're each getting double-digit sacks, you know, a handful of pressures, good against the run, especially for Dunlap. And now you add Atkins into that, that's a three-headed monster, and your defense will feed off it. And because of it, uh, I think that could be enough that if your offense is averaging 24 points a game and a Ram-style offense, we feel like this is going to be an offensive-led team anyways. So if the defense can have that at the very least, uh, I think that would put them in a lot of games. There are so many different ways you could go with this question. You could also say like William Jackson and Jesse Bates or Drake or Patrick or Dirk Zenard, like any of those combinations in the secondary to carry the defense. You could say, I don't know, Tyler Eifert and John Ross if you wanted oh, to, yeah. and talk about weapons. But next question comes from Spencer Myers. That's since he's Spence 19. There was a lot of hype for Damian Willis, but he seems to have laid an egg on Saturday. Stanley Morgan stood out. Is this a gamer versus good practicer scenario, or might Morgan just be better? 
I think it's too early to tell. We got one game. We've got limited snaps and targets for both of them. I'd like much more. I'd like to see, honestly, I'd like to see Damian Willis and Stanley Morgan get 10 more targets over the next three weeks and maybe even more, at least 10, right? Uh, and really let that settle out. But so far, you, but I think it's fair to say that Stanley Morgan was better than Damian Willis in week one. And part of that's also opportunity. Dave Lapham talked about that on his, I don't know what, the video over on Bengals.com today said Damian Willis, at least he felt, if not the team felt, like he ran his routes well and just the balls didn't go his way. The the targets went to Stanley Morgan by comparison. So we'll see if they make a concerted effort to try to get Damian Willis the ball a little bit more and give him some chances to shine. Because I agree, we, we have no idea yet. In practice, though, Damian Willis has looked every bit the part he's beat William Jackson a few times hard to say because we have this going on with Ryan Finley too right the practicer versus the the gamer yeah although I it's think almost the opposite has, yeah although I do think Ryan Finley has stepped up in in practices as well lately yeah and I think coaches would lean towards the guy that practices well and keep giving him opportunities rather than a Christian Westerman that doesn't yeah. practice well but maybe plays long games yeah so that's good for Damian Willis he, he will get the chances Next question is from Aaron Parker at Mean Bengal, Mem Bengal. The continued cluelessness from some of the linebacker crew continues to sadden me. Regarding Jefferson, Malik Jefferson, is there someone from the undrafted free agent crew at linebacker who could legit threaten his spot if he continues to have issues this preseason? I don't think it's an undrafted guy. What do you think of him? I don't think he makes a team necessarily right now, or maybe he does just as a special teamer, but I think it's it's Preston Brown, mm-hmm. Jordan Evans, Nick Vigil, uh, Jermaine Pratt, Hardy Nickerson. Who am I forgetting? Deshaun Davis, maybe. Desha- Deshaun yeah. Davis is probably the other one, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you got to remember this, this staff doesn't have ties to Malik Jefferson, so to them they're invested in maybe even more in Deshaun Davis than Jefferson, so... Uh, it may come down to Darren Simmons picking that last one or two guys. It is early. It's been one it game. So I think you do need to give him a couple more games. It's been one game against the Chiefs in which they muffed two punts inside the 30. Like, that's this not a very easy way to evaluate your defense. Against Andy Reid, against bad field position the whole game. But, I mean, that doesn't absolve the linebacker. Unit. None of those backups played very well. And it's against an offense that's going to confuse you, even yeah. with a vanilla yeah. uh, playbook. So, Last question comes from Alex Grigsby at a Grigsby 81 Finley seemed like he was hitting his receiver before they had even looked. I know some QBs do this all the time, but I never noticed it like this. Was this something unusual? I think this is what happens when you have a guy that has played a lot that also, um, remember, he's 24 years old that doesn't have a great arm, but he is decently accurate. And this is called throwing with anticipation, seeing the coverage, reading it correctly, getting the ball out, maybe a a split second early in order to hit your guy at the right time because you don't have a great arm. If you watch a lot of his throws too, you could almost count in your head uh, a a second and a half or two seconds before that ball actually hits the receiver on a throw that should have a little bit more zip to it. So that just may be his way of compensating. Some guys can do it and and be great professionals, but there is a minimum threshold of arm strength that I'm still not sure that Ryan Finley has. Yeah, we'll have to see if that develops for him. He did say in an interview recently that he has to throw with anticipation. He called it a strength of his game, but the verbiage he used when he said, I have to throw with anticipation, kind of wonder if that's a tip of the cap to the fact that, yeah, I can't rifle it in there all the time, so that's what I do to compensate. 
And there's a good balance between throwing with anticipation. Guys with a lot with strong arms sometimes don't throw with any, right? They they wait and see the guy open. They know that they can rifle it in there. The best have a good mix of they have enough arm strength, they throw with enough anticipation. So unfortunately, we're only taking four questions today. We're going to take a break, catch up on the countdown to kickoff, and we'll find a day in the future to fit in a more complete mailbag as we get into having football to talk about. The schedule just gets a little bit more full. We'll be right back. Guys, let's talk about sex. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue, like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up as twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Let me tell you, we get free samples, and if you think Marshawn Lynch has a good stiff arm, you've seen nothing yet. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor visits, no waiting at the pharmacy, and best of all, no awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code LOCKEDON. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code LOCKEDON to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Lockdown Bengals podcast. And we're back with segment three of the Lockdown Bengals podcast with Jake and Joe. We're going to try and get caught up a little bit on this countdown to kickoff here. We still want to finish this. We still, you know, we're almost there, but uh, we're going to have to get maybe three players in a day for a while until we catch this thing up. And starting right off the bat here is number 32, and it's someone we expected to see a lot on last Thursday night or Saturday night's game. Maybe we'll see a little bit more this Thursday night, and that is Travion Williams, the rookie out of Texas A&M. Yeah, when we talked to him when I was down at Paul Brown Stadium last week, he had the impression that he was going to get a lot of run. We all had the impression that he was going to get a lot of run. He did score a touchdown. He only had five carries, though, and he only averaged one yard per carry, which included a four-yard run. He got tackled for a loss a couple times, and I don't think it was really his fault, but he didn't make much happen on his own either in his first NFL action. All of this comes with a massive small sample size caveat, and I think that the future is bright especially for a six-round pick for Travion Williams, who has the advantage of knowing the system that he came in with from Jim Turner. Yeah, for sure. And he knows the blocking system. He knows the pass protection. That's obviously going to help get him on the field in terms of comfort level uh, with this team as a rookie running back. But, yes, I'd like to see him be a little more elusive and maybe break one off. He did have a nice catch on that screen where he he picked up, what, 13 yards, I believe. Uh, So, you know, not a complete bad day for Travion Williams scoring his first touchdown. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's an indictment of him at all. I think we saw a lot of the things we need to see, but he didn't do the sorts of things Mixon could do with his patience and the vision that we see from Joe Mixon behind the line of scrimmage, pre, pre-line of scrimmage, as, as we have called it in the past, uh, where he can make up for bad blocks. Yeah, that's right. And I would say that, if anything, he may have had a couple bad reads. Uh, so first time playing, though, I think that's to be expected with rookies. Right on. Next guy up on the list is number 31, Jordan Ellis. Ellis is a rookie out of Virginia. He's 5'10", listed at 225. He had a massive, massive pancake uh, 
on a blitz pickup. That was incredibly impressive to watch. Both him and when I was at practice last week, Quentin Flowers had a big one too. Both of those were really fun to watch. He graded out really well in pass protection for PFF. He only had two pass pass blocking reps, and one of them was a pancake, so that's going to look good. Yeah, and his best play was probably a, like Cravion Williams was a was a reception that went for ten yards and a touchdown while he was just the mm-hmm. recipient of maybe a more impressive play by Ryan Finley right. on that by stepping up. But Ellis was open, caught the pass, and scored. I thought overall, I mean, for a guy that's 5'10", 220 something, that's some density right there. If if he can show a little bit of power, and he did definitely as a pass protector, but uh, you know, be able to catch the ball and move the chains, that's a plus for a big a big back. He had five catches on five targets for over 40 yards and had the touchdown. So that's a really solid day for a team. He's playing from behind. He went out there. He was a pass catching back. He's definitely opened some eyes. They're, they like the running back depth that they have between him and Clinton Flowers. Quentin Flower, sorry, is the undrafted guys. At least one of them is going to end up on the practice squad. And I think they're going to like whoever it is that they keep. Yeah, and after game one, I say that the edge definitely goes to Ellis. And again, New staff, probably more invested in their undrafted guy rather than the previous staffs, Quentin Flowers. So a uh, good sign for Ellis in, in terms of making the roster, and I don't mean the 53, but definitely the practice squad. Yeah. Number 30 on the countdown to kickoff today is going to be Jesse Bates. I guess it's always Jesse Bates. He was a second-round pick last year out of Wake Forest. He was a surprising pick for me. I did not have Jesse Bates on my radar when he was drafted last year. Oh, really? I didn't think they would go for a safety in the second round. And I was even more surprised, I think, when, when they cut George Iloka. I wasn't paying very close attention to the Bengals uh, last year around the draft, mm. I would say, especially after they picked Billy Price in the first round, which isn't a pick that I hated. But I do remember very clearly being indoctrinated that Frank Ragnall was better, and I was sad he was gone, and that James Daniel was better, and then he went in the second round. Yeah, and uh, I did think the Bengals were taking a safety. I, I got a little tip last year. My first uh, mock draft of the year had them taking a safety in the first round last year. And when people would say, you know, well, if it's not the first and we get into day two, who could it be? And it was it was a few guys. It was a really good Justin Reed, uh, Jesse Bates, and Harrison out of Alabama. I, I'm forgetting his first name now. But uh, it, was a, it was a good day two safety class. So when the Bengals traded back from that spot, and we're able to accumulate a later pick and still draft Jesse Bates. I was really excited about it. And I thought he'd just be a depth player, to be honest with you, for the year. It, I don't think we're at that point this year where there's a – it's funny because I'm writing about Drew Sample and Jermaine Pratt, and obviously those guys are drafted in the range Bates was last year. And I just – already you can tell you're probably not getting that impact. It's rare to get a guy that instantly steps in and makes you release a veteran starter. But, uh, you know, that would be – Something that for Jesse Bates is a, is a, a, a testament to his great rookie season. And, and, and I think the total upside we all think he has for this defense. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what kind of step he takes in year two. Last year, for a good part of the year, he outplayed the best rookie, according to PFF at least, in Derwin James out in Los Angeles. I almost said San Diego there. And Derwin James is great. He's a different kind of player than Jesse Bates, so as Bates is a center fielder, true free safety type, and he should be a staple in this defense for years to come. Yeah, and he played a lot of cover two and cover four at Wake Forest. Uh, so I think sometimes he's more comfortable in that, and that was okay last year because the Bengals played that a lot. If we're going to get a lot more odd coverage, cover one or cover three, it'll be interesting to see Bates get more center field responsibilities because he's he, he, really flashed a lot last year doing it, which was uh, 
not a surprise because of his his skill set with ball skills and range, but because uh, you know he didn't do it as much at Wake Forest. Yeah, he definitely has a skill set though, right? The anticipation, the oh, yeah. quick break, the reaction, the closing speed, how much ground he makes up when he closes on some of those passes. Some of the interceptions he had last year, it's just very apparent that that is a skill set that he has, and it'll be fun to see how that plays out. Yeah, and we've talked about it before when we did Sean Williams because we mentioned Bates on that episode, and we said that we love the mix between a true strong safety and a true free safety, but yeah, at the same time, Bates really showed out as a tackler last year, and we know that Sean Williams has had some good coverage numbers in the past. Yeah, I I think we won't see as much variability between the safeties as we used to, right? We didn't see it Mm -hmm. as much last year, but in years prior to that, we said the Bengals didn't really have a strong and free safety because they were really quite willing to rotate guys around based on the look they were getting from the offense, based on the play call. They would bring Iloka or Williams into the box. Although I do think that started to go away a little bit toward the end of Iloka's time in Cincinnati. They started to have slightly more defined roles for a pretty long time there. It was it was interchangeable, and that was a nice thing to have. But now we're on the other end of it, where you've got the skill sets that you want at those positions, and it makes sense. And one thing of note, Lou Anarumo with the Dolphins and the Giants has, has gotten good safety play, but normally from the strong safety, from Rashad Jones into Landon Collins. It'll be interesting to see here if we're looking at the better safety is Sean Williams or, or is it Jesse Bates? I think I'd like to think it's Bates, uh, but different role for what Anarumo has traditionally gotten. Bates was really poorly graded in that first game against Kansas City, but he had very few snaps. I am not reading anything into that. No, because we don't want to read anything into that where we want him to be good. It's a preseason game, right? It's a preseason game against Patrick Mahomes for one drive. Yeah, if he was good, though, then I'd be reading everything into it. Well, if he had picked off Patrick Mahomes on that wheel route, came out of nowhere, and saw the ball before Sean Williams did, then, yeah, I mean, then you have an ad read play on your hands, but... I mean, that's what we're all hoping for, right? We're all hoping Jesse Bates turns into Ed Reed. I think even if he's Eric Weddle, I'm happy. Sure. Eric Weddle's great. Yeah. The last player we'll cover in today's countdown to kickoff is Tony McRae, number 29. He is a backup or third string slot corner who had a really good week one of the preseason. He stuck around as an undrafted free agent from North Carolina A&T for three years now. And he has a good shot of making the team again. Yeah, because he's a good special teamer also. He can punt gun, and last year he had a blocked field goal against the Falcons that was he was called offsides for. But if you watch the play very closely, he was not offsides. No way. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so he gets credit for me. He did spend some time with the Baltimore Ravens in 2017. So, uh, yeah, uh, you know, he's bounced back and forth from those two teams in the AFC North. He's a small guy. He's 5'10", 185, but he had a couple impressive plays, I thought, in the run game against Kansas City, making a tackle after Jermaine Pratt missed a tackle, too, I think, at one point, uh, which is not what you want to see, your first round or your third round linebacker missing a tackle that a 185-pound corner can make. But Tony McRae, I think he has a chance to make the team just because of his performance. He has played fairly okay when asked to play, uh, even outside the last couple of years. Yeah, the one big negative play I remember from him was the Antonio Brown long touchdown against right. the Steelers where William yeah. Jackson and McRae seem to have a miscommunication there. McRae doesn't clearly see what Jackson's telling him, and he allows a free release for Antonio Brown underneath. There's also offensive pass interference on that play, but we don't talk sure. about that. 
we don't talk about it. <laughs> so Tony McRae is the guy looking at the back of the roster, trying to make the team along with some of those other corners we've talked about in their second year, the fifth round guys from last year, Devontae Harris and Darius Phillips. One highlight from camp, if you remember from family days, when uh, that back shoulder kind of back of the end zone catch and toe tap by Tyler Boyd in the back of the end zone was on Tony McRae. McRae was covering him on that play. I'm not saying McRae's a world beater or anything, but I think you could do you could do worse for your like seventh corner. Right, if they keep seven, if they get if they get fat, that far, and it's probably six. But let's see if uh, Dark Denard starts on the pup list because as of now, he hasn't done anything. Exactly. That's going to do it for today's countdown to kickoff. We are breezing through these now as we try to catch up. We are still three players behind. We'll catch up on those at some point. Tomorrow, if you check out the show, we're going to be doing a game preview for the Washington game coming up on Thursday. And also, if you're in our fantasy league for the Locked on Bengals podcast, the draft order is set, and that is tomorrow at 9 o'clock. That is Wednesday at 9 Eastern, so don't forget. 20-team league. We're going to have to talk about that draft at some point and talk about the crazy settings we're dealing with, huh? Yeah, probably. 20 teams is fun. It's a lot of teams. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Bengals podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with that game preview. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one.